that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 36, Beverly Hills Cop 3, from 1994. I'm your host, Michael Foley, and welcome to Beverly Hills. <gasps> Beverly Hills, that's where I want to be. It's another big franchise day on the show, and I have two partners in crime with me to figure out what the heck happened here. First up is my unofficial co-host, none other than Mr. Brian Late Night Slumber Party Rodriguez. Brian hasn't been on in a few episodes, but I've been sleeping over his place a lot recently, so catch me on his show. Also joining me is a first-time guest, The Third Time's a Charm. I'm so excited to have this guy. If you've listened to other Cage Club feeds, you may know this person's voice already. It's none other than Dan the Duke Hayden. Dan's been on Keanu Club, and he's watched a bunch of movies with Joey and myself. He's been on Tom Tom Club, and now he's making his inaugural appearance here. He had a blast today, and I think it comes through on the recording. I mean, we all had a blast. I don't really mean to show my hand already, but this movie was pretty disappointing. Disappointed! So let's get into it. Grab your trusty lion's jacket, book a ticket to L.A., because we're about to avenge the death of our captain while also busting up a counterfeit ring. It's Beverly Hills Cop 3. a charm tonight's episode beverly hills cop 3 joining me not as always but as sometimes i have my unofficial co-host brian rodriguez from high school slumber party brian welcome tonight thank you for joining us happy to be here happy to be here as always and I'm very excited tonight, and I'm glad you're here because I have a first-time guest. So glad he's here. I uh, hope to have him on. I'm already inviting him back at the top of the show. <laughs> hope to have him. Wow. But you might have heard this gentleman on some of the Keanu Club episodes, some of the Hanks for the Memory, some of the Cruise Club. None other than Dan Hayden himself. Hello, Dan. Welcome to Third Time's a Charm. Hey, guys. It's, uh, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me, bud. Dan, I have a question. Yes, sir. Why do they call you the Duke? Long story short, I used to be a stand-up comedian. I used to do hip-hop comedy, and my stage name, my rapper name, was the Duke of Stash. And when I went to college where I met Joey and uh, Mike and a bunch of other people from the podcast, I uh, had introduced myself where people had just known me as Duke from seeing my shows or I, I... Gotcha. Yeah, so that that's where that came from. But Dan, Duke, I like either of them. They're both good names. I met Dan through Larson, a mutual friend of ours, of all of ours, as a matter of fact. Yes. Co-host of the once legendary Monkey Club. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Monkey Club. Shout him out. But today, you guys are my partners in crime. I don't know if we're, uh, what side of the law we're on, if we're going to be busting crooks or if we're going to be committing the crimes, but we'll see. And we're also going to take a little trip to the amusement park. So I hope you're ready for that. Right out of the gate, Dan, since you're new to the show, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your history with, you know, Axel Foley, Beverly Hills Cop, the epic theme song. You know, what is your history like with this franchise? Well, I love 80s Eddie Murphy. Apparently, I didn't love him that much because upon rewatching all three of these movies the last few days, I realized that I've probably 
seen bits and pieces of one and two completely scattered and never all the way through. Okay, so for this, you know, you were only obligated to watch part three, but you took it upon yourself to do a marathon pretty much, right? So you watched all three of them for this. Yeah, and I'm glad because I definitely had parts from the second one that I thought were in the first one. I definitely did not remember sitting down and watching any of these individually. So it was nice to actually relive this this great 80s character that Eddie Murphy put together. Trying to think about when I was familiar with, because it's got to be the song. The song is the thing that everybody remembers. Axel F. Axel F. It's all playing in our heads right now. We know. Exactly. (laughs) I'm playing it under us as we speak, probably. You know, I put it in post. I remember in college, I was into Robert Randolph and the Family Band, and they do a jam where they would break into the Beverly Hills Cop theme song with like a violin, like jammy soul kind of music. I mean, but I'm trying to think about, yeah, I can't, that's probably what what I would say is the earliest memory of this is just remembering that theme song, not even connected to seeing the movie. Yeah, I think that's the way I was introduced to this as well. And, and not just Axel F, but from the first film, The Neutron Dance. And it's hard to say. From the second film, Shakedown. I mean, there were some great rock tunes associated with this franchise at one point. You couldn't help but pay attention to Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, Eddie Murphy was everywhere. He was a huge megastar. There's so many stand-up comedians right now with all their Netflix specials, but it's hard to imagine, like, this young kid, Eddie Murphy, explosive personality and all. So, I mean, even as a young kid, I wasn't allowed to watch the movies, but we were playing Axel Foley and Robbers, not Cops and Robbers out around, like... (laughs) In the yard and stuff. <laughs> you in your uh, Detroit Lions jacket, just in your backyard. I, I love it. And your Mumford physical education program t-shirt. <laughs> I was probably like the Judd Reinhold character, to be quite honest. <laughs> like, my neighbor was probably cooler than me to be, and he was Axel. Hey, we all want to be as cool as Rosewood is. Billy Rosewood. Wild Bill Rosewood. Now, Brian Rodriguez, how about yourself? What's your history with the franchise? Have you seen all of the movies? Was this your first time watching Part 3? Which, this is one of the rare moments where this was the first time I had seen this movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, usually I come to the table, you know, uh, having watched it before, but this, yeah. I started the podcast just so I could watch this one day. (laughs) This is my first watch on Beverly Hills Cop 3. I'd seen one and two, I don't want to say quite recently, but like in the last year or so. I had bits and pieces seen it a while ago, but I don't remember what it was for, but there was this one commercial a couple of years ago where in the middle of this commercial, this kid starts playing Axel F on a tuba, I believe, and it got in my head there. I'm like, what the hell's in my head? Oh yeah, this song. I'm a collector of soundtracks, so I actually own two copies of this, surprisingly. I just went through my vinyls, that's why. Um, And I was like, I gotta watch all the movies again, so I didn't really bother with three. I saw one, I saw two, but, but I was happy I could see Beverly Hills Cop 3 today because it completed my Axel Foley trilogy. And it looks like this is going to stop at three. They tried for like the past decade or so to do a part four. For a while, it was going to be a TV show, but three and done. And that first one I revisited about a year or so ago, and I'd say that's pretty raw. That's a good raw action crime film. I don't know if you're aware that that was a Stallone movie at first. Uh, Sylvester Stallone passed on it, and it was sort of changed up a little to suit Eddie Murphy's personality a bit more. You know, I think worked. There's a Sylvester Stallone and a Jackie Stallone joke in part three, which is kind of funny. I didn't laugh, but... (laughs) Isn't there like a Cobra poster in one of the first two movies also? Not sure, because I haven't rewatched part two in quite a while. I know, I remember that one being really slick, and that's um, Tony Scott did that one, if I'm not mistaken. So like, I remember just it looking beautiful. Brigitte Nielsen's in that one. Chris Rock shows up to park a truck. at one point but watching this one was quite strange because the first two while they are stylistically different they are straight up hard-ass crime action films that sort of just happen to be funny and it seems like this time around for whatever reason they set out to make like an r-rated children's film (laughs) 
you guys can maybe help explain what's going on with the tone and all this and everything. Very briefly, though, I rarely do this, but I'm going to do a very quick plot summary because, you know, I think it'll help just sort of lead us into this conversation. So Axel Foley's boss is shot and killed when they're doing a raid on a chop shop that acquired government-issued paper to make counterfeit money. He traces that truck back to California, to Beverly Hills, no less. Again. Uh, Again, again, where the money is being used at not Disney World, but Wonder World, which is sort of like the stand-in for Disney World. And the head of security is using the, the printing press they use to make Disney bucks to make counterfeit money. Axel Foley basically figures out who did it really early on, and the rest of the movie is everyone else telling him like he's nuts, gaslighting him, telling him he's crazy, but he won't give up or surrender or anything. And at the end of it, he saves the day. And he gets a cartoon character named after him. <laughs> <laughs> Now we can pretty much get into it. I'm just not sure where to start. Who who would like to begin with some of their general thoughts, whether you were, like, when you were sort of aware that something was sort of going wrong, that maybe something was off, or, like, that you knew, uh, you know, you might have been in trouble? So, right off the bat, this movie is fucking terrible. Yes, and Duke, I apologize, man. Your first episode. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be cool. Like, I didn't know. That's the thing. If I had known, I would not have invited you here's the thing if i had maybe sat down at night had a beer to played some video games or had a good stretch where like the baby was sleeping i got to hang out and then sat down on my couch at like 11 o'clock at night and watched this movie with no connection to one or two i think i would have laughed at how terrible this was but the thing about it was having just watched one and two for basically the first time and really, really enjoying it. This was just such a hard letdown. The formula kind of was there. You know, somebody in Axel's life gets shot. He ends up in Beverly Hills. He meets some old friends or some people that are going to be his new friends. And it just kind of takes a huge downward spiral from there. My biggest problem with it is just Eddie Murphy phones it in the whole freaking movie. He is He's not Axel Foley. Like, I swear to God, they could have strapped another name onto this character and would have been like totally believable because he's just not Axel in this movie. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I basically had had like the same issues. I was like, yeah, it's so generic. And I just feel like, you know, John Landis is not an action director and Beverly Hills Cop is that type of franchise. And this just feels like, I mean, I don't know if you guys are aware that John Landis and Eddie Murphy, you know, they made two hilarious movies together, but had a very big falling out where to the point where like they were not speaking on the set of this film. So like, imagine the circumstances of trying to make that. Bronson Pinchot mentions how Eddie Murphy seemed extremely depressed the entire time so you're phoning it in comment I, I definitely see that coming through too like he's giving like the bare minimum of effort almost and the character is not coming through on the on the screen before you move on from it mentioning john landis i did not look at any reviews for this as i tend to do when i've never seen a movie before i was so exciting trading places is my favorite comedy movie of all time that's my favorite i'll watch it anytime it's on i don't care what part it started from i will watch trading places religiously i'm a huge john landis fan i've been on record like american werewolf like all that stuff yeah. and i know like he's sort of emerged as being a bit problematic i mean you know he had that thing with twilight zone of course mm-hmm. but like this was just like crushing yeah it does not it doesn't feel like a landis film at all i'm a big coming to america guy was definitely disappointed and eddie murphy is mailing it in if you read a little bit about the film i think he's made it clear that he mailed it in he didn't even want to do the film they must have just thrown like a lot of money at him or something but you're right he is not axel foley he's just some dude in a movie again if if i saw this naked without watching the first two films i would just think it was like some okay eddie murphy film i wouldn't even think it was related if i didn't have this song hardwired in my head i feel like they thought that they could just play Axel F in the background of anything and that suddenly it would work (laughs) with the rest of the franchise. Yeah, but not just play Axel F. They had to like do all the different themes of Axel F. They had to put a tuba and synthesize it (laughs) even more. They had to do like the Matrix techno version. They had to do the bombastic action version. Like they couldn't just play the song. It was fine the way it was. I mean, it endured for two movies. That to me was one of the funniest parts was what have they done to this song? 
I wrote down like crappy Super Nintendo video game music. I think that's the same thing we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. During the Ferris wheel rescue sequence, I believe, is when that music is playing. Totally. <laughs> what a scene. I mean, the, again, the fact that, would you say 75% of this takes place at a theme park? It's absurd when you think about the other films. That is like the one thing about this movie that I kind of actually liked and made me even more angry that they screwed that up. Just the concept that we're going to be, I mean, and their concept, their idea was die hard at a theme park. But he keeps leaving it and going back and forth and all this. Like, no, it has to take place in one day at the theme park over the course of like 12 hours or something. And, you know, there's a bomb on Splash Mountain. But... The concept is is kind of sound. All they had to do was screw it up. When you put it like that, I would definitely watch that film. But they took all like the shitty aspects of theme parks and highlighted that. Like, oh, let's dress him up as you know the cartoon character, the mascot, or whatever. Or of all rides that we're gonna pick, it was not that I don't like those rides at Universal Studios, but it wasn't anything that I. W- it was scary. We already know it's not a real T Rex or you know whatever that one alien ride was so it was just like silly (laughs) gags at that point there wasn't like any fear in the theme park or a cool other side of the theme park well i guess we saw the security room but you know what i mean we know those cylons aren't real dude those cylons (laughs) what was that i mean (laughs) but then again there's a lot of wacky sort of cameos in this george lucas popped up at one point (laughs) ray Harryhausen is at a bar in this movie and points out Axel F after seeing him Axel F I called him by the name of the song <laughs> he points out Axel after seeing him on TV as a wanted man I'm like what is what is happening with this and movie? I hate it, when they do a cameo in this movie like I don't even need to know who the person is there's a specific shot they use and then they linger on it like you see you see it's that person and then they go back it's just so annoying well I was saying to Mike before we started it's like it's like that Leo DiCaprio meme that's circulating the internet where He's pointing at the TV screen like, oh, I see it. It's like, look, there's George Lucas. I saw him. I saw him. (laughs) Exactly. I pretty much knew we were in trouble from the get-go when they're scouting the chop shop. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. Like, you know, chop shops, those haven't been in movies in a long time. I remember those. Those are cool. And we go in the chop shop, and it's a bunch of sort of like overweight mechanics dancing to the Shirelles or something, like doing doo-wop and shit. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Right out of the gate. I couldn't believe it. And and I knew from that point on, like, it was just going to be hokey, whimsical, and dumb. And I'm like, this just isn't the tone for Beverly Hills Cop. Like, Beverly Hills Cop is funny because Eddie Murphy's funny, but, but there's a lot of, like, great action and cool shootouts and violence and cursing. And, well, they got the cursing in this one. But, like, it's just so weird because it felt like a children's film laced with fucks and i was like if they just took those out you could show this to anyone under the age of 13 and they'd be you know they'd be fine pretty much it's so true oh my god again it's like it doesn't ruin the first two films but it just it felt like a bad episode of the tv show or not a bad episode just an episode i wouldn't really care about if this was a tv show if that makes sense you know i just didn't care enough well i think counterfeiting is a perfectly fine crime for axel foley to investigate Okay, but it's just such a stretch for him. Like, why did the guy have to pick up the paper in Detroit and then drive it back to California? Like, that's a stretch that the guy works at this Disney World. Like, that's okay. Like, it's kind of interesting that they're using like the Disney Bucks printing machine and all that. But I don't know, man. There's just too many plot holes for me to ever really get a grip. And there's so many bad guys. Do they not all look alike? Oh, my God. They all look alike. And not to mention there's one that looks just like Wayne Gretzky. And, like, there's too many of them. They all are just regularly shaped white guys with pretty much the same voice, but with, like, a different type of bad attitude. And even the guy, that the, the secret agent guy in the beginning, who, like, I, for the life of me, could not keep straight what department he was supposed to be working for. As soon as he shows up and, like, blocks Axel from stopping the guy who shot his boss, I'm like, yeah, that's a bad guy. That, that's a bad guy right there. I don't care what anyone says. That guy right there, 
that's a bad dude. Yeah. His death is by far the greatest in the entire movie because it's like right after Axel saved the day, this guy like comes into the room and he's like, but you forgot one thing, Axel. And Axel fully just like shoots him like point blank dead. He's like, no, I didn't. Or like, it was so off the cuff. Matter of fact, nothing in the rest of the movie told us this guy was in on it and he was about to reveal it then. <laughs> do you guys have any favorite sequences? Dan, do you have a favorite moment from this one? Can you, can you pinch one out? from this movie or not i really like the cylons and the guy getting crushed by the the ride near the end of the movie because axel you know having watched the ride sequence once knows exactly when everything's gonna drop and magically (laughs) kill that guy so for favorite i gotta say uh oh man i keep forgetting the 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 art gallery dude i was like oh i'm at foley sarah all the people to bring back from the first movie. <laughs> I thought that too. You bring him and he's an arms dealer now? This is one of the ones that give part threes a, a bad name because of doing things like, like, okay, some movies do it perfectly. Like the idea is to go back and mine the first movie for everything we didn't use for the sequel okay but this is going a little too far if you ask me like you bring him back as the same character you don't you don't bring him back as an arms dealer like yeah dad so it's between that and judge reinhold being whatever the hell his job title is no. d-d-o-j-i-o-g that's fucking i don't know why because i don't particularly like judge reinhold not that i hate him i think he's just you know he's he is of his time i thought that the whole gag with his name being so long or his title being so long was very ahead of its time yeah i actually kind of liked how he had that big dragnet map and he's like i control the green lines and all this kind of inter-office connecting like he connects all the different branches together and coordinates them and stuff i was like well that's kind of like an interesting job i guess he has a lot of responsibility but you know it's lost on me when they start doing the whole initial joke where he's like i work for the D D O J A S I O C A B D. i'm like wait what when is all that going on it reminded me of, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. That's not a bad call. It is kind of like a S.H.I.E.L.D. thing. It was good to see Judd Reinhold back, I thought. Uh, it's too bad we didn't get the other partner back. We have the stand-in, the new taggart, John Flint. Axel Foley, meet John Flint. If there's a part four, he'll be back. But there's no four. So <laughs> My favorite moment was going to be the, the Judd Reinhold title thing. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a big fan of maps in movies. I did like his Los Angeles <laughs> map that lit up and stuff. I thought that was interesting. Um, I, again, they, they took the joke in weird directions. They took it too far. I was trying to like the movie at times. It was relatively harmless. It just doesn't need to exist. What the hell was the deal with like this gun? I haven't seen the, the first two, like I said, in a couple months. Like, Is there any sci-fi-ish technology in this earlier film? Oh, so you're talking about the gun that Bronson Pinchot's character is hawking. The Annihilator 2000. Yes. It, it felt really out of place. <laughs> yeah, this is a leap in the wrong direction. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, like, this is like, <laughs> we have no idea. Like, we have, we, are, we are on very different pages here as far as, like, what Beverly Hills Cop should be and what Beverly Hills Cop is right now. <laughs> That's also my least favorite part of this movie is taking the best the best running gags and running things of the first two and just, like, not running with them like axel being able to talk his way past any receptionist or bribe his way into any situation or you know get over on gilbert godfrey and he can't even get past a freaking ticket booth window woman at an amusement park dude not only that he can't even get past the lapd answering service where he's like punching in the wrong code and it starts speaking french and oh god he just gets out of his car leaves it at the entrance and walks into the front i'm like he gave up on the bit didn't he he just like got up and left the scene <laughs> it's a remarkable thing to watch oh my gosh yeah i forgot about that he's like trying to hit he starts like talking french to it and it, it's yeah it seems like he's he's trying to do a bit and then he's just like nah this this probably isn't that funny i'm gonna get up and go to my trailer it's really tough because it feels cheap like just in the regard of like the filmmaking sense like like it's very bright it feels like kind of shoddy and all this stuff which is a surprise to me because it doesn't seem like the kind of movie or story that you would really need to sort of like flush with cash Uh, i feel like you gotta pay eddie murphy right whatever he's asking but then like 
everything else is a matter of aesthetic and it just doesn't look lived in it, it looks like it's shot on a back lot you know what i'm saying do you guys get that like where i'm coming from with all that and i don't just mean because we're at like an amusement park most of the time and and it's it's all fakery to begin with but other than that it just felt like way more plastic whereas like the previous ones like had just more grit and style to them I mean, it doesn't help that they're, you know, going in and out of a big tunnel system, which is obviously not underground and just a set somewhere. I know those places, those theme parks are built with like huge underground areas to like be able to move around crew and equipment and stuff at, you know, a fast pace. But it all just seemed, like you said, like hardly lived in. It seemed very plastic. Yeah, there's just no heart to it. You know what I'm saying? It felt like I was watching a movie the entire time. If that makes sense, I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of where I was getting to, right? It felt, I think what Dan was getting back to too, where it didn't feel like it was actual Foley. I felt like I was watching Eddie Murphy doing like a Beverly Hills Cop skit or something like that. That's definitely John Landis for, you know, for better or worse, unfortunately, because like he is on record as saying, hey, if, you know, the script wasn't good, the least we could do is try to make it funny. Like this stuff kind of flies with Blues Brothers, but that is a fantasy world from, you know, set up in a certain way this we are already privy to like okay there's real world rules involved and you know axel foley is not that kind of like superhero which gets to the rescue on i think they call it the spider ride but it's it's like this giant multi-tiered ferris wheel yeah Yeah, that's it so this is like the major action set piece of the entire movie it takes him like a year to rescue these kids and he's like jumping all around and it gets to a point where if they could have sustained that kind of sort of cheap schlocky fun for the rest of the film I would have been on board but they blow it because it's like they know where they could go but no one really wants to go there and Eddie Murphy doesn't want to play ball and you can start to feel it and it's like we got cool stunts happening but like no one in charge with good ideas and they got that techno Axel F Matrix theme playing (laughs) and it's just like an amazing mess and I'm watching it in disbelief part of me is kind of happy most of me is a little depressed but i would like to know what you guys have to say about the spider ride sequence well the setup isn't even that good (laughs) like they were just having a shootout in the tunnel why couldn't like one of the stray bullets from one of the security guards have hit like a mechanism or something they had to be the hot shot security guards the security guards whose boss is winning an award for philanthropy and security one of those guys literally gets in the way of the operator and destroys the machine by pushing a few buttons on something that they're barely paying a guy minimum wage to operate and that's what takes down the ride oh it was amazing because axel goes on the ride they get away from the security guard and the guy running the ride's like just give me two seconds i'll bring it down and he shoved out of the way and (laughs) the security guard may as well have shot the controls right because the gears go like charlie chaplin style just like springs start popping off left and right and the ride goes out of control and Axel has to like climb and jump from little like compartment to compartment to save these kids Brian what do you what are you thinking do you have anything to add to this I don't know if I have anything to add I don't know it was very like kind of throwback you know saving kids and going down that rope thing um it looked really really fake when he was in the you know he when he's in the car and there's like the obviously there's that fake background i think they could have done a little bit of better job at that you know even for the time it's harmless it didn't really take me out of it i think what was worse the action set piece wasn't so bad to me it was uh the whole as we said the whole setup why it mattered it was totally like one of these things where someone concepts this before anything like okay we're gonna be at a amusement park let's have something on this let's have something on this ride how do we get there ah we'll fucking figure it out later you know like that's what it felt like <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to think of other movies that took place at amusement parks there was ghoulies 2 i think but that was more of like a fair but then have you guys ever heard of there was like a kiss movie that took place at an amusement park i think it was like a tv movie are you guys kiss fans at all no maybe was it like psycho circus or something like that i think it was like kiss versus the amusement park where like uh, they go and there's like animatronic versions of them are built to take over the real versions of kiss because they were like gonna play a concert at great adventure or something i don't know it's pretty wild i think they did it over on uh, nick jenkins podcast 
when they when he just watches uh, terrible movies. Gotcha. Um, well, there's Adventureland. Okay, okay. Adventureland. Some guy shot like a hit, like a secret movie at Disneyland. Oh yeah, yeah, and... yeah. What was that called? It's like a horror film or something. Yeah, I forgot what that was called. But there's also the I think it's sorry, Mike. I think it's the fourth in the Three Ninjas series, which is <laughs> th- Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain, starring Hulk Hogan. Ah. Is that a high school film by any chance? I Brian? don't. I don't you know. can review I, it. I don't know. I hope not. I'll put it that way. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's cool. But again, I don't know what you're going to do with it in this kind of Beverly Hills cop world. This isn't Scooby Doo. You nailed it, Brian. This feels a little Scooby Doo. Like the silliness, the the kind of goofiness, the ease of the story, like the simplicity of it and everything. And like they're not, you know, because like they're not hiding the fact that the bad guy is the bad guy ever, right? Like I think Duke was saying earlier, like it's impossible not to tell who the bad guy is in this movie. <laughs> Have you guys been to Disney? Like that seems to be their big model here. Yeah, I know. I'm. This has become. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, this has become the theme park pod. I haven't been to Disney World. I'm sure I have a Disney World trip sometime in the next decade coming with the baby girl. But uh, I don't know, man. I guess maybe nine. I mean, I've been to some amusement parks since, but like the last time I went to Disney, I had to have been like nine years old. Yeah, I remember going once or twice. Once when I was like really little, like I've like it almost feels like a you know like a dream instead of a memory. And then once when I was like around nine. But then I went when I was like fifteen, <laughs> which was kind of cool. And I went to like Universal and MGM Grand, did the Star Tours, did the Back to the Future ride, did the Indiana Jones stunt show, and all that kind of. But I haven't, I've not been back uh, since I was fifteen years old. So that was like nineteen ninety five or six or wow. something. I'm kind of torn about Disney World. I think I would have fun, and people have told me, like adults without kids, have told me, oh, it's great, you have a great time, drink around Epcot. But there is something to me that I'm like, I feel kind of weird not having a child there, you know? I I know the people listening probably now are going to be like, fuck you, I love Disney, I go 20 times a year, I get Brian, don't worry, no one's listening. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say that. I'm joking, no, it was an opportunity. (laughs) I did go in college because me and my friend went to do like spring training in Florida, baseball. And we're like, let's just go to Disney World one day. Sure. So we just went to Epcot. We had a good time. But I wasn't even of drinking age or anything like that. So we just like rode some rides and had a good time. But a lot of people go and they get drunk at Disney World. That's what I've been told. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'd go more towards like Universal. I know the two Joes went for the Too Fast, Too Forever podcast. They went and did the Fast and Furious ride, right? They went down and they did that. And so like I would go do that kind of thing and walk around i think they have more adult themed sections now and then you just let the kids sort of go into their area as well but it would be kind of strange to go into the haunted mansion loaded uh i don't know if i could handle that (laughs) (laughs) i'll put it this way like if i was a billionaire and i had like unlimited vacation time sure i'd go but like you know i only get so many vacation days and right now i'm not gonna (laughs) waste it on Disney World, you know? But maybe eventually. Like I said, if I have kids, sure. Well, you say the wife and I, yeah, we have friends that are those people. Like, two of our best friends, they go to Disney World like twice a year. They want to move down there. We have friends down there too, but they want to move so that they're like an hour and a half away from Disney and they can go wherever the fuck they want. And we've talked about going also because she's never, my wife's never been. And we thought it would be like a good thing to do, but we always like want to go to like national parks and do other stuff like that. So we just figured once we had the kid, we'd eventually get down there. But I will say this, being loaded at an amusement park can be fun, but being loaded at a water park is fucking awesome. And Disney has some amazing water parks. Never been to them intoxicated, but but I have a feeling that that would, I mean, there used to be a place down there called Typhoon Lagoon. It was my favorite water park. I've always been a big fan of water parks. So, like, I can just imagine the glory of going back to Typhoon Lagoon and just being plastered and having, like, the best day of my life. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Uh, I loved water parks, man. Yeah, I haven't been in to one of those in even, I don't know, maybe around the same time, to be quite honest. I think we're on to something, though. Could this screenplay have been written after a drunken day at an amusement park? <laughs> <laughs> Is that possible? Absolutely possible. I mean, I even remember. Okay, so one of the one of the little flashes of memory I do have as a little tyke at Disney World was getting Disney dollars. This whole concept of like Wonder Bucks and all this kind of thing, like that was a real scam, you know. So like the guy whoever wrote the guy who wrote, I shouldn't, I should be way more prepared for my own shows. <laughs> 
whoever wrote this movie. Absolutely, Brian. Like, I feel those vibes 100% where it's just like, I'm going to turn the next Beverly Hills Cop into an exploitation on Disney. All of the dirty deals and capitalistic problems that it stands for is like, we're going to expose it with Axel Foley. It'll be a real expose. It'll get even worse. It's like, George Lucas is going to... I'm sorry, I'm doing a drunk voice. And George Lucas is going to be there. And and the movie's going to be super over budget and Paramount's going to shut us down. It's going to be awesome. And Eddie Murphy's going to be an elephant. <laughs> big, big elephant. He's going to push a kid in the fountain. It's going to be so funny. That part was actually kind of, That little kid stole the movie, right? The little kid missing the two front teeth. I love you, elephant. Eddie Murphy, elephant. I forget his name. Like, um, Wubsy Dubsy, maybe. Something like that. Cutest kid ever. That was a good moment. You know what kind of came across my mind, though, watching this? is like, they had to shoot this at several different theme parks like cobble it together between like magic mountains and other smaller sort of parks might have like a carousel or like a ride so you could sort of cheat a couple things with it my thing that came across me though is like you know john landis directed the iconic bride if you will thriller video with michael jackson couldn't they just shoot this at neverland Neverland Ranch. Go there, go wild. You wouldn't have to be, you know, under any kind of, like, restrictions with these other theme parks. You know, that thought crossed my mind watching this movie. Maybe that's just how, how bored I was getting. I don't know. <laughs> that would have been interesting. That would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, just to backtrack a little, you mentioned, you asked who the writer was, and his name is Stephen E. DeSouza. Are you familiar with him? Sounds familiar. He's a director, too. That's why I asked. But this is, like, one of the all-time great action writers he wrote commando he wrote die hard he co-wrote die hard 2 that's why he sounds familiar he wrote judge dread Uh uh-oh starting to slip yeah Uh, the the running man i mean not all of them are like that love the running man he directed and wrote the street fighter film um Mm -hmm. uh uh-oh yeah so you know that that there though that that he knew what he was doing with because that is just that is for kids you know what i'm saying like street fighter was supposed to be like that i don't think people realized you know that it was supposed to be sort of like a a fun kids film anyway more like action figures than superheroes but that's not surprising to really learn. You know, I'm sure this was like um, not a tough one for him to crack because this feels like he might have even taken a script he had and just retrofitted it for Beverly Hills Cop or something, right? Like this feels a lot like his other movies. Like you mentioned Die Hard, um, even Commando to the to a degree. Maybe that's where that big giant machine gun thing came in. Just to also backtrack on that, the freaking machine gun is used for like a minute and a half of like a very short gag. And that's it. Yeah, I was really bummed about that. And there's no way they could have been making some kind of commentary on arms dealers, right? Like, there's no way this movie's trying to be that smart, right? So, like, the only thing I could come up with was they had no budget to make it work. We could get it to shoot a net and shoot a rocket once. And that's it. You have to write some kind of joke about how it's a shoddy piece of equipment or something the annihilator something that like an arms dealer and a sixth grader put together like oh it's got a microwave and it also is a boom box and it's got rockets and bullets and oh it's so awesome i sort of perked up when the bronson pinchot part came about not because i was like hey it's the guy from part one or anything but i was like maybe we're gonna get like a little bit of a run here of some good gags like some cool jokes about weapons and guns and stuff but no i was so bummed that we didn't i don't know if the joke was that it's a piece of shit but it turned out to be so although i'll tell you what i wouldn't mind having is that little keychain with the flash on it that's some james bond shit that that was pretty elegant i like that do you remember that did that come to be i can't remember like did they use that somewhere (laughs) i know we're shitting on this film a lot and obviously it wasn't good but i almost wish it was worse so that it was one of those fun bad movie watches you know for me it was just oh yeah this didn't need to happen and it's clearly like no one's having fun here so why am i watching it how could you have made this movie worse just spitball it ways to make this movie even i mean worse. i don't know man like it got pretty bad when they shot walt disney or uncle dave like, that, <laughs> that was fucking crazy i was like when did that need to happen or axel foley you know taking his gun out and shooting it in public at the amusement park i don't know dude like i don't think it could save itself like because <laughs> i thought it was going there with that you know the whole spider ride thing i was trying to explain earlier that scene is like the culmination of everything wrong with this movie where it's like they're doing their best 
clearly this is like the best they can do, but like it's it's not bad enough. Maybe that's the thing. I guess the inherent flaw technically of making it bad is that it's from a good franchise. So either way, you're going to be disappointed. Okay, here, I know Eddie Murphy wasn't, you know, the best in this, but replace him with someone else who's nothing like him. That's how you can make it worse, right? Like, and just say he's Axel Foley because that would hurt even more. I, I'd rather take a half-ass, <laughs> a half-ass Eddie Murphy than some like random, like, and debuting. I don't know. I wish I could come up with, with someone. Where I'm going with this then is, you know how like John Saxon's here for no reason, right? Yeah. And it's cool. I love that guy. I love him. He's a great character actor and everything. But his role or the Ellis DeWalt role, like that needs to be like Gary Busey, right? Or like that needs to be <laughs> Steven Seagal. Like it needs to be a high caliber actor like Eddie Murphy. And I think that's the issue here is he's the biggest star here and he's not even a big star at the time. Like that's the other thing. It's like Eddie Murphy wasn't really making, what was he doing? Like Pluto Nash? You know, he's kind of had a resurgence now. I think his that new Dolomite movie is really great and everything, but I feel like you needed to go like that like this movie is missing a co-star basically yeah and i don't think judge reinholt's career took off in that kind of way where they could have pumped up his character to have equal billing right yeah so i i I could agree with that oh god i know how to make this movie worse okay this is judge reinhold is the narrator of this third movie and he is telling his children a bedtime story about how Uncle Axel and the girl that he meets, uh, Janice, and how Uncle, so how Uncle Axel and Aunt Janice met, how he got his character at Wonderworld, and it's just like, like told like the Princess Bride. <laughs> Dude, that's how it feels. Like that, you nailed the tone though. Is what you did, right? And like every once in a while, he slips and says "fuck." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think that would genuinely make this terrible. Especially like if he leaves in the whole tunnel of love oh, joke. Oh god, that fucking ending. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I'm, it slipped in for me too. I apologize. But that <laughs> ending model, that was like, I, I don't even know what to say, right? Well, it gets, it's like worse on top of worse because they're all sitting there in wheelchairs and like Eddie Murphy gets his character named after him and the girl leans over and it's like, it's time to go into the tunnel of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, there's no tunnel of love here. Well, let's make one or something like that. It's like, oh, you know, he saved the day. He got a character named after himself and he got the girl. I thought you were referencing the part where they're all sort of like shot and they all wander into where like the dinosaur ride is and they like Judd Reinhold like falls over. I thought, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's pretty bad. That bothered <laughs> me. Like Judge Reinhold looked like he was in some serious distress and they're just kind of sitting there and giggling both being shot but like he's genuinely concerned when he sees all of his other friends die and all the other parts of all the movies he's not concerned about judge hitting the ground after being shot yeah that's a really really good call like this whole movie is predicated on the fact that one of his good friends got shot judge ron he doesn't look like it was like oh it was just a flesh wound or anything like that he looks like he's about to die you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> he is bleeding from all kinds of places he's like no i'm good he's like all right that's okay i don't care if i lose you whatever a little news though mike i don't know if you said that this whole Beverly Hills Cop 4 thing is not happening, but just two days ago, Bruckheimer is kind of talking with the directors of the latest Bad Boys to bring it back for a Netflix film. Really? Okay. I like that new Bad Boys. That one was hilarious, actually. Those guys are good. They wanted to do another property I heard recently as well. I'm like, oh, they want to do Deadpool 3. I'm like, give them Deadpool 3. Absolutely. Those guys are good. I could see that happening. That's the same sort of vibe that they're going for. Yeah, absolutely. they're going to throw the all the existing scripts out, and they're going to write their own, and technically it has a deal with Netflix, because Bruckheimer has a deal with Netflix, so we could be seeing that on Netflix soon. Who knows? It has to be better than this one. I remember yeah. for a long time, I thought I heard uh, Michael B. Jordan was going to play the young, like uh, his son, maybe, or they were just going to recast Axel with Michael B. Jordan or, or think about just recasting him with somebody recent, you know, which I don't I don't know. Like, I think I think he's a strong enough character that you could recast him. Like, uh, you know, I don't think it needs to be Eddie Murphy. Mike, I'm surprised you don't know this story about, like, the fate of that. Um, so, actually, uh, CBS ordered a pilot, I believe, with, um, you do you know Brandon T. Jackson? He was in Tropic Thunder. You saw that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Al yeah, Pacino. Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah. 
he they actually paid a lot of money and shot this pilot and i think eddie murphy is either in it or was supposed to be in it and basically like handing off the reins to his his son and it was supposed to be this guy everyone thought this was oh it's a shoe-in for the fall schedule because i mean come on you're gonna put that much money into this it's a established franchise they've done much worse apparently it was so bad no one's ever seen it and they just never picked it up no way oh that's because it sounds like it's a pretty good idea it exists somewhere yeah people listening who can do this go find that and send it to me i need to see that, that. sounds like it'd be so much fun like especially i like i like that casting job for not to play axel yeah brandon t jackson yeah to play axel's son yeah oh that that's awesome yeah i i can't imagine how bad that must be what kind of father would, would axel foley be that'd be a, i'd like to see that too you know like uh how did he raise this kid what kind of kid would he have was he around all the time well I, i'm reading now there's some other rumors some people said it wasn't that bad that it might have been too edgy for cbs but i feel like they would just retooled it right eddie murphy said that the reason it wasn't picked up is because they asked him to be on more than just the pilot apparently he's in the pilot and he was like i'm not doing that and they're like well yeah this is not going to work because he's not going to be able why wouldn't he see his father kind of these are all rumors point is i really want to see this you know the only way to get him out of that is to kill him off in the first episode right <laughs> like that's the only way he's not coming back like you have to have axel here and there yeah, you couldn't be like he finally just made the move to beverly or you know it depends because like, <laughs> he never for some reason he always keeps moving back and forth to like take care of it. like why don't you just stay in beverly hills like he really really must love detroit it's kind of funny you say that because didn't like didn't john mcclain end up doing that a lot like he kept like switching coasts like in the first Die Hard he's like I'm a New York cop in LA and in the second one he's in DC and he's like I'm an LA cop in DC and then he's in New York finally and he's like ah finally I'm a New York cop again where I belong Uh, and then he like goes to Russia at one point I never I never saw that one he's like in New Jersey Baltimore and and DC and that crappy internet attack one he's never he's just never in his jurisdiction i think is the point (laughs) well he is in his jurisdiction he's just got a really bad hangover (laughs) i really didn't want to like come across about trashing this we don't really do that around here but like if you can understand it came with love because like i wanted to enjoy it and i have great memories of parts one and two growing up and watching them a lot as a teenager believe it or not never seeing this and you know i knew it had sort of a reputation but i didn't think it could be that bad and lately i've been watching movies where i've avoided because of sort of said reputations dan you were on our polar express Express. yeah for hanks for the memory and that movie's fine like i had been told to sort of like be weary stay away like it's it's a bomb like all this kind of stuff and you know i just gotta stop doing that and this was sort of another one of those movies where I, I avoided due to its reputation and, and just unfortunately have to say like I can't recommend checking this out like it kind of its reputation actually precedes itself it's amazing yeah it was sad man I mean watching those first two I had no expectations and no idea what I was what I was in store for for this that like when it finally hit me and it didn't take long I've got to say I don't even remember the exact point but sometime within the first 15 minutes of this movie I was like oh god God, this is like a movie that was like a third movie in a trilogy that came like four or five years too late than it should have. And it was just like a cash grab. And just when it finally hit me and I realized I still have like an hour and a half left of the movie, I was like, oh, crap. I mean, I'm watching it and I was like, man, I felt so bad for Duke and Brian to have to sit through this uh they're never gonna want to come on again <laughs> i'm really gonna have to make it up to you damn uh like with an indiana jones or something like that just having me on is is great man this this is fun even sitting down and talking with you two guys about a movie that's subpar is an enjoyable hour so i mean and two out of three that's not bad you know they at least they they kind of they beat the average i'd say you know good for them and there's always a possibility of of it coming back down the line i think i think we'd all be up for a part four in some form or another you were onto something uh dan when you're like you know who was really interested in this at the time no one it kind of it kind of hit that bad spot where they didn't wait long enough maybe you know like sort of what they did with bad boys 3 it's like they almost waited too long and in this one it's like they didn't wait long enough or something they just got the ratio off altogether it just felt like they got off on the wrong foot god i hope they didn't make the same mistake with top gun oh man i don't know that looks amazing though yeah it does 
Brian, any any final thoughts that you'd like to share about the Beverly Hills Cop franchise, Part Three, Eddie Murphy, uh, amusement parks, counterfeit bills? I, I don't know if you saw like all the posters for this, but one of the posters for the, uh, Beverly Hills Cop Three is really cool in my mind. It has the like a roller coaster in the background, and it has Axel. But maybe there was nuggets for a good idea in here. But it, disappointing overall. I'm I'm disappointed, but again. Happy to talk with you guys. I don't mind that part. In regards to the franchise, I do hope that they kind of reboot it a little bit. Even though I'm not, again, not a big fan of all these reboots all the time. But I don't like to end on this note. We'll put it that way. (laughs) Well said. Absolutely. And I guess on that note, I will bid you guys all a good evening. So thank you very much for coming back. I look forward to having you back again oh i gotta gotta do some plugs real quick we got some plugs happening duke is there anywhere online that you would like people to find you actually i've been i've been doing some artwork lately during this quarantine i've been doing some uh some sidewalk chalk art and uh if you want to look at some what i think is pretty cool sidewalk chalk art you can uh find me on the instagrams at uh danny dukes 25 i've seen some of that and i think that's really awesome it's almost like tattoo flash or something and it's that's That's what i'm going for yeah that's okay made me want to go out and get some chalk brian high school slumber party rodriguez where can where can the listeners find you at well as you mentioned high school slumber party you know where i talk about high school films and we have a good time there mike you're a frequent guest on high school slumber party and you'll be a guest again i'm actually been editing an episode of yours so i've been hearing a lot of your voice today I mean, the last couple of days. Well, I just listened to you drop in on the Fast and Furious podcast last night for the uh, American Graffiti episode. So I've been hearing a lot of your voice, too, recently. I mean, th- yeah, that was a fun one. And we talked about that movie together on my show. So there's a lot of synergy there. With Dr. Podcasts, who was co-host of the now defunct Legendary Monkey Club with Christian Larson, who we are all mutual friends with. It all comes full circle. And speaking of old friends, new friends, mutual friends, Duke, you're welcome on High School Slumber Party anytime. Love to have you, because this has been a blast, and I would also like to repay the debt of this bad film on my show as well. I would love to be on. Yeah, send me your information. Let's uh, let's play an episode, man. I'd love to sit down and, uh, and be on the show. Oh, sweet. I-, I love that I could play some matchmaker here. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. So this was worth it. This actually, something good came of all of this. It took a couple of years, but there was a purpose for Beverly Hills Cop 3. (laughs) Thank you very much. That's going to do it for another episode. Gotta thank Brian and Dan for stopping by. I have a feeling you might be hearing a lot more of Dan over on High School Slumber Party very soon. A few observations from today's episode. I forgot how much Brian loves maps in movies, but this also came up in my Harry Potter 3 episode, when Harry got a magic map and was able to sneak around Hogwarts. Two other big movie map moments I can think of are the Indiana Jones movies and the Lord of the Rings movies. Some really good map work there. Everyone has to go check out Brian's episode of Angus Strikes Back, his interview with Angus himself, Charlie Talbert, featuring the most popular girl in school, not that Kate Hudson. I also wanted to mention, don't forget to check out Judd Reinhold in the movie everyone should always be talking about, Zondali. It's Judd and Nick Cage in New Orleans and oh so much more. That Kiss movie I was trying to recall on the show? It's Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. And you can hear Nick Jenkins' episodes of Real Bad Podcast over on cageclub.me. Some great tunes in the first two movies of this series. And just to recap, we have Axel F. The Neutron Dance. Shakedown. Shakedown, breakdown, takedown. Everybody wants into the crowd alive. Breakdown, takedown, no busting. And the heat is on. The heat is on. The heat is on. The heat is on. What's on the street? The heat is 
I was heavily exposed to these four songs as a kid growing up. Oh, I finally was able to put my finger on the tone and vibe of this movie, and once I say this, it might make perfect sense. But think Blues Brothers 2000. That's kind of what's happening here. But for all things Third Time's a Charm and all the other great shows on the network, check out cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, and at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. You can go to my Facebook page, but I haven't really posted on that in like a year. I should really bring that page up to speed. But check out all the back episodes of this show on cageclub.me, see all the other shows I appear on there, and just poke around and have some fun. Write to me at 3 at cageclub.me. That's T-H-R-E-E at cageclub.me. And until next time... Three, that's the magic number. Three. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three may stub at me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean? Get ready for an adventure.